Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, if this is your first time, uh, welcome. We're glad you could be here. My name is David, um, and uh, this is Hope Church. Uh, we're glad you're here. If, uh, if, you, if it is your first time, I'm not sure if we have any first timers, uh, we have something for you. Make sure you get that on the way out. Um, see one of these beautiful ladies over here can help you with that. Um, this morning, we are continuing through a series through the book of Colossians. Um, it's a letter Paul wrote to those in Colossae a long time ago. Uh, he was imprisoned in Rome, um, reaching out to Colossae and neighboring towns uh, by letter, those who he heard of um, through, actually through Epaphras, had, had come to him to tell him about how uh, people had received the gospel, received the good news of Jesus Christ, and he hadn't seen them face to face. This was the gospel growing beyond his own work. Paul was called to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. That was a special calling on his life, um, and now the gospel was growing beyond that in the, in the area that he was targeting, and, and it was a wonderful thing. Um, but, but there's some things within his letter that are somewhat unique, uh, be, I think, to the fact that this church that he's, that he's writing to um, is one that he'd never seen face to face. And and very similar to other letters he's written to other churches, there were things that you find in every letter that are just his heart and his purpose in writing those letters, and and his his purpose for them in Christ, and his and and just these foundations of of what they need to know to thrive as a body. But it seems like in in the letter to Colossae, we get a little bit more of just boiling it down to the heart. The, of what he wants to communicate, given that he hasn't spent time with them. Um, I think there's some, some cool aspects to that, and, and this morning we're going to hit one of those areas. There is actually the most essential area. It is what his calling is, something that in other letters and in, in this letter he refers to as this mystery because it was something not understood before Christ something not understood uh, before Jesus died on the cross and was raised and we knew the fullness of the gospel. There's that message of the gospel. And part of the mystery is not, not only of how God would save mankind through his son, but that it would not only be for the Jews, it would also be for the Gentiles. And, and if you're not familiar with what that means, that means not just God's chosen people, but for everyone else, which includes me and you. Now that message um, of the gospel, uh, he, he refers to it in different ways. Uh, I love the way that he talks about it here in Colossians. He says, I want you to know this. And you can see it in the section that we're going to go through. He says, this is my calling. This is, this is why I suffer. This is, this is why I'm writing to you. This is what I'm struggling for. I want you to know this truth. And I want you to know it well. I want you to know Christ in you. The hope of glory. To know that. To truly know it. And as, I, as I'm just gone through this week studying Paul here, I, I, I start to get, it's hard to go beyond the, the words to what was the heart of Paul and, and knowing more of Paul and just how much of his life has been just invested into this purpose, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, as he's referring to Gentiles he never got to meet, but he knows have, have heard the gospel and have come to Christ. They've put their faith in Christ. He, he wants them to know this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I need to know that. How much of what we're dealing with right now in life do we lean on, put our full weight on the truth 
And the, it's the first point I've got here. We haven't even opened God's word yet. The first point is, I have Christ. Do we know that in a way in our life that we just put our weight on it fully? How much are we trying to push ahead into life and, and, and deal with our current circumstance apart from that glorious truth? So this morning, we're going to dig into just this amazing, incredible truth that Christ is in us. And in him is the hope of glory. Let's read. In Colossians chapter 1, we're continuing through, starting now in verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. That stewardship is what he talks about a lot. The stewardship to be the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. To, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. But I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, that's, that's a neighboring area, also those that he hasn't seen face to face. Those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would move this morning here. Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and just apply it to our lives. Apply it to our hearts. God, there's no way me, Pastor David, can, can hope to be effective in accomplishing the work that you do through your word. So God, we just ask that you do that this morning. God, we want to know better what it is, the fullness of what it is that, that we have Christ in us. Jesus Christ, that you dwell in us and what that means for our life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ in us. Something, something important for us to realize even as we get into this, this only happens through faith. That's been here since the beginning. You, at the very beginning, I thank the Lord for your faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that those in Colossae have now come to just a radical change in their life. They've received the truth of the gospel. They have trusted. They have put their faith in it. And now this transforming work of Christ in them has been accomplished through faith. What does it mean to have Christ in me? Christ in you. We talk about um, when we're young, uh, about inviting Jesus into my heart. Um, and it's funny sometimes, and it's, it's cute how kids will take that and say, he's right there, where's Jesus? And they look at the, where the organ of the heart is and say, well, that's where Jesus is at. He's, he's residing in this, this physical organ of my body. Is that, is that what we mean, heart? And, and heart 
Jesus in my heart is something that's in the Bible. That's in, in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3. We see that, his prayer, that Christ would dwell richly in their hearts. What does that mean, though? We need to have a, a, an understanding of that. If this is such an important thing that Paul's whole life is towards us understanding Christ in us, what does it mean to have Jesus in my heart? Well, when we speak of the heart, you probably understand that a little better than a child, but it, but it is important to understand what we're talking about is that, that core, fundamental part of us that, that is our beliefs, our, our very foundational beliefs, our desires, those things that drive us to do what we do. That, that's our heart. It's, it's, it's out of which comes emotion, it comes our action, it comes everything about who we are comes from the heart. And what's interesting is culturally, you go into ancient times, back into Old Testament times, and the heart was tied more to the mental side of that, and the emotional side, they would say, is like your intestines. It, it would be awkward today, <laughs> today to say, you know, you're dating a girl, I love you with all my intestines. It's just, well, that's awkward. But that's, what, but that's where they, that's the organ of the body that they associated with emotion. And so there's some translation happening there for us now in, in modern times in, in, in the English to, to not use intestine because we know what they meant. And it, to us, the heart better represents that. But, but there is a sense that it's both an emotional center of us, but it's our mind. It, it is everything that we believe. It's everything that is the core of who we are. So when we're inviting Jesus into that, we're saying, Jesus, I want you to invade the very core of my being. Everything that has to do with what I believe and, and the desires of my heart and everything that drives me to be who I am, I want you to come into that. So that's what we're talking about, Jesus, in my life, in my heart. It's not my physical organ heart. It's, it's the core of who I am. But then if you've been around a little bit in the Bible and you start thinking about the, the persons of the Trinity. See, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, we have one God. It's very clear. There is one God. And and. But it, within one God, we have three persons. We have the Father, we have the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what we find is that each of those are fully God, and they're separate persons of the Trinity. We see right there in Jesus' baptism, all three of them represented right there. Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending on him, God the Father speaking. All three together, simultaneously, separate persons of the Trinity. And then we read in places, it says, well, Jesus left, and he's coming again. He's not here. He left and went, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's what we see in, in Ephesians. And, and, and in fact, we go to, in, in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking, and he's saying, I'm, I'm leaving you, and I see that you are downcast, but this is a good thing that I'm leaving. Why is it good? Because once I leave, I'm going to send the Helper the Holy Spirit. So what is it when we're talking about Jesus in my life, Jesus Christ in you? It's the Holy Spirit in us. But wait, that's a different person than Jesus. Let's think about the roles of the, the persons of the Trinity. What did we find out about Jesus just a couple of weeks ago right here in Colossians? He is the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God dwelling within Christ. How do we know the invisible God? How do we know his character? How do we know what he wants? How do we know his commands for us? And, and how do we know his love for us? It's through Christ. Jesus, his role is displaying for us the full character of God. Well, in the Holy Spirit is the full character of God. And, even be and before Christ, the Holy Spirit wasn't understood very well. The Holy Spirit had a lot of work he did, and, and the, 
the role of the Holy Spirit was many times the outworking of God's power. Even from at, at the beginning, we saw over, <laughs> as creation's happening, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. And, and as, as you see the Holy Spirit coming upon people to accomplish God's power, God's work, it was the Holy Spirit working but it's still, the Holy Spirit was not understood well. God was not understood well. The best we had to understand him was through the law that gave us a sense of his holiness, but not the fullness of who he is. The fullness of who he is displayed in Christ, but the Holy Spirit is also the fullness of God. He has the character of God. And it's important for us to realize, maybe to rethink some of our thinking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not this nebulous power thing that kind of gives you a shot of, I don't know how we think about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's not really concrete, but it should be because the Holy Spirit is God. And how do we know God? I know God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as the Holy Spirit comes into my life, what are his desires for me? They're Jesus' desires for me. What is his will in my life? Is Jesus' will in my life? Does the Holy Spirit understand my weaknesses? Yes, because Jesus was tempted as I am, experienced my weaknesses, even though it was without sin. So the Holy Spirit knows that as well. Is the Holy Spirit able to care for me in the same way that Jesus is? Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. The unity between those three is incredible. And so don't think that the Holy Spirit is any less than or different than in his character, in, in everything about him, than what we see in Christ and what we know about God through Christ. So hopefully, that little journey into theology helps us to understand a little better what we have in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. God, in all three persons, his love, towards us his plan with god the father uh, orchestrating so many things and and the holy spirit pouring out his power and, and his work even there with christ christ was anointed by the holy spirit christ humbled himself to the point that he did nothing as the son of god other than what the god, what god the father told him to do and he was it was not even from, from his himself that he did miracles it was the holy spirit he was submitted fully to God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the work that he did. And it was the Holy Spirit anointing him and working through him to the works that he did. And also the perfect ex example for us to stand on this earth and have the Holy Spirit work through us. But as we understand God, we understand God through Christ. And it is, it is right and proper for us to consider that the, the Holy Spirit working in us is Christ working in us. And we see that, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. By the way, in studying Christ in us, I couldn't get away from Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. So if you really want to dig deep, you will dig deep in those chapters. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. We see this terminology, and we see the glory of what it is, Christ in us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's one way that he's referred to as the Spirit of God, dwelling in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, we haven't changed what we're talking about here. This is the Spirit of God in you. I could say the Spirit of God in you. I could say the Spirit of Christ in you. I could say Christ in you. All are proper ways to refer to what God has provided of his presence dwelling within us, being expressed in us. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And this is something that we, is just a theme of Christianity. It's a reality that we live in, is that we, even though 
as, as I put my faith in Christ, the Spirit of God came into my life, and the power of God expressed through the working of the Holy Spirit is now in my life, I still deal with a dead body. And not, not physically dead yet, but dead, dead in sin. And, and, and what we're going to see is, is it's, it's really we're being joined with Christ in his death with this body. But we live in this case where we've got this dead body, and the body is dead because of sin, but now we have the Spirit of God in us, which is life because of righteousness. Christ's righteousness now dwelling within me, me forgiven by the blood of Christ through the death of Christ. And then it says in verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So interesting here is if I just think about who's being referred to, I've got the whole trinity represented. I've got Jesus being raised from the dead, and him who raised Jesus from the dead, his spirit. So that would be the Father raising Jesus from the dead is being attributed to that here. And then the spirit is the one who, whose power then... Um, raised Jesus from the dead, did the acting in that. And what's this looking at? This is just, a, just as Christ was raised from the dead, he's the first fruits from the dead. That's something we look forward to. He will bring life. Ultimately, this dead body will no longer be around. And it's the power, the same power, the Spirit of God that dwells in us now that's waiting for that day. And just to think about that should make you, as it does me, just think, Wow, consider the power that's in me, Christ in me, his Holy Spirit. is just waiting around for that day when he is going to do this amazing work. Just as he gave Christ a new body, he's going to bring life to our mortal bodies. It's going to be new. Christ in us. And it's that looking into the future that is when we talk about Christ in us, hope of glory. It's that just fixed focus on what it will be someday. I know this body is dead because of sin right now, but one day it won't. I know I'm struggling with sin right now, but one day I won't. And we see uh, further in chapter 8 of Romans that hope expressed, starting in, in verse 18 of chapter 8. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then he's going to talk about here how creation itself, because creation was affected by our sin. When we fell, everything that, that we had rule over also became cursed. And, and the creation itself is longing for that day. So it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the, revela- uh, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pangs of childbirth until now. And not only the creation. So in the same way that creation is just looking forward to that day. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is that about? I think first fruits there is just, it's more than just really what first fruits means. It's the first. It's the beginning of a harvest. It's it's, it's the beginning of something. It's the beginning for us of the presence of God experienced. What we have is in part right now. We have the Spirit of God, and that's the presence of God that we know, but on that day we are going to know the fullness of God. Our hope is, is, we, is the fullness of the taste that we have right now. The Spirit of God is, is a first fruits of the presence of God. And so we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that's part of the reality that we live in 
But as we know that Christ is in us and we have that confidence for the work that he's doing even now to change us towards that ultimate goal where we will be changed, we will no longer have sin, we will no longer have these bodies, and we will fully know the presence of God. That is our hope. So what's happening right now then? We have our eyes fixed on that hope, but Christ in us is his work in us changing us, affecting that that core center of who we are. Do you know how much God wants to change your life? Consider that his goal is what it's going to look like in eternity. That's where he's headed for. So how much needs to change in my life towards that end? There's a lot that needs to change in my life. It's his love in us that wants to change us. It's not just changing us. It's making something new. And that's something that that we start to to get an understanding of the, the further we dig into what it means uh, that, that God has put to death the old self, that that old self, my body and everything it is, is counted dead with Christ. So there's a few things I want to get into here that just look at, boy, if, when you start, this was a difficult week for me. When you start looking at what it means that Christ is in us and, and everything that comes out of that, there's too much to fit into a sermon. So I, I'm just going to hit some points here because it's incredible what it means that Christ is in us. But we're going to just hit a few of them. And the first one is just fundamentally that we're given a new identity. Who we are has changed. And we see that even, even here in Colossians when we went back uh, last week. Um, and, and I looked just at the difference between verse 21 and chapter 1 where it said, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That was where we were before. And then we looked at where we are now in Christ. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and, and above reproach before him. The contrast of those, that's not even the same person. Our identity, who we are, we often, we often tie to what we do. And certainly if what we do is characterized by the former and then changed to being holy and blameless before God, who we are has changed. Talked about baptism. What does it mean that we're, we have a new identity? But it, the Bible talks about Really what baptism is, when we get baptized physically in water, that's, that's really a, it's a step of obedience following what Christ commanded us to, but it is a symbol of the real spiritual baptism that has happened. We've been baptized into Christ, and that has a couple things that it means. We've been baptized into his death. Romans chapter 6 talks about that. We're, we've been united with him in his death. We consider this body of flesh dead, crucified in a death like his, put to death. We've also been, been baptized into his body in that we've been immersed, that's what baptismo means, that immersed into his body, which is the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think 12, 13, it talks about what that is, that, that we have been joined to his body spiritually. That's baptized into his body. Who I am has changed. Who I was before has been put to death. Who I am now is not just me individually, but it's me among the body, joined to the body of Christ. That is my new identity in Christ. That's part of what it means that Christ is in me. Certainly a lot of other things that come out of, that that shape our identity. Um, We're sons of God. We're adopted. And we see that in Romans 8 as well. Um, I've got that in your notes there in 15 and 16. 
We're no longer characterized by the old person. What are we characterized by? The fruit of the Spirit. Spirit working in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those should be characteristics of our life. That is part of the new person that God is building up. That person may be very uh, transparent compared to the very present person that, that, that is put to death. But it is this idea that I have a new creation being created. The old has gone, and there's a new creation that God is putting together. I have a new identity in Christ. Second thing is that we are, because Christ is in us, we are empowered for new purposes. The Holy Spirit working in us is empowering us to purpose of our life that is new. What is the purpose of your life? I've answered that question differently growing up. I think teenagers see that differently than young adults see that differently than young married see that differently than it's where we, we're starting to shape what, why do I exist? What, what is my life for? What is this all about? Well, when we put our faith in Christ, he gives us the purpose of our life. And all of those things become secondary. Not just secondary, but they become a part of what God's doing to a greater purpose. Why am I, what was that, for 14 years, an engineer at Qualcomm? Is that purely to shape and form and set a career to ultimately have a retirement? Is that the whole purpose in that? How did Paul see his own purpose in life? Boy, it changed. His identity changed. We all, especially men, I think, we, sh we shape who we are. Our identity is tied into what we do. Um, so when we're talking about our purpose in life, we're also going back and talking about identity. Paul counted everything before Christ as nothing. And he had great accomplishment back then. So that's loss. And now we see in the letters him saying over and over again, everything, his situation, what he's doing, even as we saw here, suffering for their sake, everything he is and does is for the purpose that Christ has given him. He has a specific calling on his life, and, and we see that um, uh, throughout here, but... But when he describes himself as a prisoner, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I'm a, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Everything that I am, I'm suffering for the Lord. I'm suffering for Jesus Christ. So can I look into my life and say, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I an engineer at Qualcomm? Why am I an architect at Compete? Why am I whatever it is in my own life? Why am I a pastor? It's for the Lord. Why do I go to work in the morning? For the Lord. Christ in me means he has shaped the purpose of my life. And that purpose grows beyond. It, it used to be going to work was just about sitting down at a desk, possibly. Or, or if, if you're at the, the cashier line, you're opening up the cashier and you're starting to run the cashier for the day. Whatever it is, that was why you went to work, and that was the end of it. Get your job done and, and go home. But the purpose of God invests in eternal things. If you're at that cashier, there's people coming by. The purpose that God has in you is every person that comes by. How you meet them, how you greet them. Possibly <coughs> connecting with someone. You are now a vessel that the Holy Spirit is working through to a purpose. How can you accomplish that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. We saw that in Paul. In verse 24, at the beginning of the section, we're looking at now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. What was part of his purpose in life? Carrying on the work of Christ. Carrying on the work of Christ. 
And, uh, and in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. He saw that what he had, this mystery of the gospel, was a stewardship that God had given him. Now it's part of his purpose in his life. And in verse 29, as he's, as he's working out this purpose in his life, he says, for this I toil, struggling, and then from this point on, it's no longer Paul. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the Holy Spirit in Paul. The same Holy Spirit is in you. Christ is in you to empower you to the purpose that he has called you to. Praise the Lord. How does the Spirit empower us? Spiritual gifts. He's called you to do something in this church, to do something among believers. He's gifted you. That's the Holy Spirit. It's funny because in Ephesians it shows, it, it speaks of Christ, uh, the one deciding what gifts to give to different people. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the Holy Spirit deciding which gifts to give to different people. There, there's a unity there. It's again that same thing we see is it's the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit is working out the the, the will of the Father and the Son. It's a, there's a unity there in what they're doing. But that's part of what God has, has provided for us in power. Um, he's <laughs> Romans 8, how to pray. There's a lot in Romans 8. Uh, Titus 3, 5, purifying us. It's the Holy Spirit that purifies us. Um, divine power granted to us in all things for life and godliness. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3. The Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, gives us everything we need for life and godliness. We certainly um, don't see the power of the Holy Spirit for what it is. I love in John 7, um, as Christ is talking about the Holy Spirit, um, that if anyone thirsts, that the Holy Spirit quenches that thirst, but more than that, that, that he overflows in rivers of living water. That's part of the Holy Spirit is not just to satisfy us, but to overflow into those around us. That's the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Are you seeing the power of God at work in your life? Or maybe as we're talking about this, you're going... Well, I know it's there, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's everything you're talking about. The Holy Spirit responds, or I should say, the Holy Spirit acts in response to our response to Him. Two very important things the Bible tells us. The environment that the Holy Spirit works in is faith, and God's word, those paired together. Say, I don't see the Holy Spirit working powerfully in my life. Are, are you in God's word? But not just are you in God's word, but are you taking it in faith? Are you trusting? When, when we see the commands of Christ, when we see the direction of Christ, when we see well, just the fundamental truths about who we are and the world around us that Christ gives us, are we trusting those in faith? And it's, and it's in faith, Galatians 3, 5, that, that we see powerful workings, miracles through the Holy Spirit working in our lives through hearing the Word of God and responding in faith. Is that part of our life? We need that. Another thing Christ in us <laughs> means is that we'll be motivated by new desires. Galatians chapter 5 talks about both the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And while it's giving us this contrast, what the truth is is that we have two desires within our life that are competing and we have Christ working within the heart of who we are, putting the desires of the Spirit there. But are we walking 
in a way that we're trusting him and seeking that? Or are we, are we just continuing to walk in the flesh even though we have the spirit in us? He wants to change our desires. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about just this, I, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I want to do. What's going on there? We're carrying along the flesh, and the desires of the flesh are still there, but the desires of the Spirit are at work within us and have changed our heart towards God, our heart towards what we want. He is motivating us by new desires. What is it that God has put into Paul? What does Paul desire in this passage that we're looking at? Why does he rejoice? Why does he toil? Why does he struggle? In verse uh, 125, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What does he want? I want the word of God to be fully known. That's a desire God has put into his heart. In verse 28, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ's. The heart of Paul, the desires of Paul is that everyone would come to know Christ and become mature Christ. And, and when he became, when at the end of his life, he could present everyone mature in Christ, knowing Christ, knowing fully Christ in them. That's what Paul wanted. That was the Holy Spirit putting that into his life as a desire. In, in 2 2, uh, it says that their hearts is purpose. And that this is what it, what it looks like that everyone be mature, that their hearts be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's, it's just Paul's heart and desire that this would be what the, what the Colossians experienced, what we experience as a church. In 2.4, Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I don't want you to be taken in by deceivers. That was his heart. He saw all of this false teaching and, and these things that, that we're going to get into later that, that would say, here's what you need to do. It's not just faith in Christ. It's not just the provision of Christ through his word, but there's extra things that you need to do as well. And he said, I, just, I want you to know Christ in you, that you have everything you need in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, and not be deluded by these other things. That was Paul's desire for them. It was a desire that God put into his heart. What desires is God putting into your heart? An important question for us as Christians is, what do you want? What do you want? And is that something that God has shaped in your life? What do you want at all levels? What do you want out of today, out of tomorrow? What do you want out of your family? What do you want out of your job? What do you want out of this life? What are those things? And is God shaping those, or is that something that's still part of the old person? See, God is putting new desires into us. Finally, what we have, because Christ is in us, is a new source of fulfillment. And that kind of gets into what do you want? What do I want out of this life? Ultimately, I want to be fulfilled. I want to be satisfied. I want to be content. And the lie is, is that that can be found in what the world has to offer. And as many times as we've been disappointed by it, we still go after it. That's the flesh. But in Christ, we can be fully satisfied. In God, we can be fully satisfied. that God can fill us with all of his fullness is where we'll find ultimate satisfaction. Let me read through a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. This is a prayer that I have for you all as well. Ephesians chapter 3. 
and we'll end on this one. You can go ahead and come up, John. Chapter 3 and verse 14, he's saying, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. He's praying for them. That, the rich, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, to really know the love of Christ. I have Christ. How many times in our life do we need to really know the love of Christ? Surpasses knowledge. That's funny. To know what surpasses knowledge. We can't know the fullness of it. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for all of us as a church. God has been working in our life. The song that we're going to sing talks about just thankfulness for his goodness all of our life. And, and, and there's a lot of parts of our life where we're going, boy, I was not feeling his goodness because I wasn't anywhere near him in my life. But the truth is, Christ in us is evidence that God from the very beginning has been working towards that goal in our life. Maybe it required us coming to the bottom of the bottom. Maybe it required us going this way roundabout way that, that we wouldn't have picked for ourselves. But God, working His grace, working His love, has brought us to a point of knowing Christ. And so we can say, all of my life, Your goodness has been working in my life. Let's sing. Running out.
Even <laughs> I think about Moses asking to see your glory on Mount Sinai, and you said, well, I'll show you my goodness, but from the back. I still don't understand what that means, but I know how it affected him. God, your, your goodness is glorious, and you've been working your goodness in our life. God, the full character of who you are, goodness is a part. Your love, your kindness, your grace, everything, God, that you have provided for us through your son, Jesus, and now you have put Jesus Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, God. I pray that this week, in a fresh new way, that we would know that in our heart, what that truly means. We'd be encouraged. We'd have the assurance of your Holy Spirit. We would have the power of your Holy Spirit working in us to the purpose that you've given us, God. Your goodness has been at work in our life, even before we got to see it. Help us to see it in a fresh new way now, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. <laughs>